Very good. Very good. Well, if you've got your Bibles, we're going to read some. Uh, so maybe get your Bible out, grab your phone out and take some notes. And um, there's a couple of things that we're going to talk about in the sermon today that are really critical uh, for who we are as Christians. And so there's some, things that, there's some things that are in the Bible that are just like, wow, that's amazing. Uh, and then there's some things that we really build our whole life around, right? And uh, we're going to talk about some of those things today. Is that all right? Uh, when I say, uh, there's, when, with what I just said, there's nothing in the Bible that's not necessary, right? It's all part of the plan, right? It's all part of the story. But there's, it's like, like for instance, the, here's this great building, right? It's awesome, isn't it? It's a great building. I particularly like the lattice work in the front right and left-hand corner, right? But the building's not built around those. I really like them. They're a really important feature, but the building's actually built on things you can't see, right? Below the surface of this building is the things that hold it together. And do you know your life is like that too? Like, I love you guys. I love it. I love, I love the conversation. I love hearing stories about what God's doing in life. I love the, all sorts of people engaged in different meaningful jobs, right? We're all important people in the worlds that we're in, right? I love that. But, you know, below the surface of all of the things you do, all of the things you say, all of the things that people perceive about you is the real you that God's actually building, right? The things you are building into your life, right? Have you ever been surprised by someone? A few years on, like you meet someone, and then a few years later you meet them again. You're like, wow, do you know they were always that awesome, but you just couldn't see it, right? And God's building us like that. How many people know that's true? I don't feel like you're very excited this morning, but I'm excited. So I'm excited enough for everybody, so it's okay. Uh, Because God works in our world from glory to glory. Right? We know this, don't we? We know this. God moves us from glory to glory. Blessed are those who dwell in the house of God. They will go from glory to glory. We know that God moves us from strength to strength. The New Testament says as we look into the perfect law of liberty, we're transformed by the Spirit of God. Right? We know this. Wave your hand if you know that. If you didn't know that, I just told you it, right? There's three different Bible scriptures I've talked about, right? This is what the Bible says about us, right? We know that, right? But most of the time... We operate like we always have to be perfect all the time. That's how we actually view the world. We actually view the world like everything revolves around where we're at right now. And if I'm not adequate right now, then I'm not adequate ever, right? If I'm not worthy right now, then I'll never be. Well, the reality is that the overdramatic moments, the dramatizations of the moments are not helping us. We've got to come back to what we're really building our life around. We build our life around the truth of Scripture that says God started something and He's working in us. And if you pause in the middle, it will look bad. Right? It's like driving between here and Auckland. You have to go through a lot of places. You don't want to stop. You go through Thai Happy. You're going to have to go through Tokoroa. Right? If you if you pause, if you pause there and say, Oh, I can't believe we're in Thai Happy. Why did you bring me here, God? Well, God's plan for you is not Thai Happy. Unless it is, then God bless you. But the reality is when we when we go on a journey, we don't stop in a moment and panic, do we? Oh, I can't believe we're here. At a rest area halfway between Thai Happy and Turingi. I can't believe this. This is ridiculous. I thought we'd be further on. I can't believe I'll, I'll never become who God's calling me to become. I can't believe I'm stuck here. It's just a portaloo and some weirdos in a camper van. The reality is, come on, in the middle of the process, don't stop and judge it. Come on, we, you've got to stop judging you. Stop judging you. You're fantastic. Right? And you're not your responsibility. 
You're not. God says he's going to work in you. God says he adopts you as a child. God says he's going to lead you from glory to glory to glory, right? So sit down and be quiet in your life. Just take a moment. Right? You're not the captain of the spaceship. Right? The fact that the, the fact that the flux capacitors keep blowing out the back end of it, right? We need more power. Just stop panicking, right? You're not in charge of the whole universe. You're not even in charge of very much of it at all, right? Think of the whole universe. How much of it are you really responsible for, right? Not very much. Oh, I've got three little kids. That's true. You don't have 450 billion stars, right? So you've got three little kids. You'll be okay, right? God can manage all those stars so he can help you manage three little kids, right? I know that sounds ludicrous, right? Because how could you possibly... Right? But I've seen it done. I've seen Christine do it. It's possible, right? Right? Okay, how many people have ever baked a cake? Give me a wave if you've ever baked a cake. Right? For the older gentleman here, how many have seen somebody else bake a cake? Right? Yeah. Yeah, there's just a handful of people here. Who are not, I just know for sure they haven't baked a cake, right? It's a generational thing. I, I've never baked a cake I've attempted to, right? I actually have baked cakes. I have baked cakes, right? I was actually a killer at home economics, right? When, when you look at, at what point, at what point is it a cake? And, and, and what is it for the rest of the time? It, 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 it's flour and broken eggs and melted butter, right? And, and sloppy mess, right? And so well, can I tell you for sure, God's baking a cake. Right? But you keep walking into the kitchen and going, what is this? What the heck is going on? It's just flour and it's melted and it's messy and it's sloppy. Right? Yes, your life's sloppy. But just if we can engage the processes of God, trust the plans of God, work with God, allow Him to stir us. I can't believe everything's been, my whole life's been turned around. My whole life's been messed up. Everything's turned to custard. Well, do you know what? That's better than what it was before when it was just melted butter and flour. Oh, everything's breaking. That's right, because we don't want shells in there. So we break them. Right? God's got a plan. Now, here's the deal. Here's the God's not subject to the processes, but everything he created is subject to process. Everything he created is subject to process. God can do and does things instantly because he operates completely outside of time and process, right? He's completely beyond those things, right? He's completely within them as well. So when God works in your life, he could do things instantly, but it would break you. Because you're subject to processes. You're subject to time and space. Everyone said amen? But here's a couple of scriptures for you, right? That prove God's into process, right? Or God's got this plan. This Ephesians 3.14 says that, Paul says, When I think of all this, I fall to my knees and I pray to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's Ephesians 3.14. But you know, in Ephesians 3.1, he says, When I think of all this, and then he goes, I'm assuming you already know what I'm talking about. And then he talks about God's plan. That God's plan's always been to bring all things together, to work things together for His glory, right? And he says, when I think of all this, I fall to my knees and I pray to God the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, right? This is Paul the Apostle, right? In the book of Ephesians, right? When I think of what God's doing, when I think of His plan, 
I fall to my knees and I pray to God the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, that He'd work in our world, that He'd grow your hearts, right? Yeah? Have a think about Paul's life and the plan of God. From the moment, the moment he became a Christian until the day of his death as a martyr, he was constantly under threat. He was chased from, he was chased out of town in, in the first few days, few weeks of being a Christian. They had to let him down out of the wall in the middle of the night to escape the city because of his, because of his very previously, his previous very best friends were trying to kill him. He's countless times he's whipped and he was beaten. He was shipwrecked on a bunch of occasions. He was arrested and he was tried and he was, he was confronted and challenged by other Christian, other Christian leaders, by the Jews, by the Romans, right? He had this life of pressure and punishment, right? But he counts it all joy, he says, when he faces trials of every kind, right? That's what James says, count it all joy. James lived that similar life. What do they? What do these guys understand that we sometimes forget is the power of process. That in the mixing and all the challenges and the melting in the caramelizing of life, they understand that God's making something that you can't make without process, without that sort of plan going on. Amen. That God's got a plan, right? We sung this already. First Corinthians two verses nine. No eye has seen. No ear has heard and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love Him. God's got a plan. God's making a cake, right? And we can't conceive it. We can't imagine it. We can't apprehend it, right? Except by the Spirit of God, we can apprehend the, the plans of God, the heart of God. That's why when we worship, things settle in our spirit. Why? Because we're grabbing a hold of our God's got a plan. That's why even in the midst of great pressure and great trial, we can stop, close our eyes and lift our hands, focus our attention on our Heavenly Father, and there's a settling and a shift in our spirit. Just wave your hand at me if you had a time where things were as bad as they could be, and suddenly they turn around quite quickly on the inside. The circum, the conditions stay the same, but on the inside things turn around quite quickly just by our focus on God. That's our spirit going around our brain, because our brains really, if you stop and think about it, is still unable to conceive what's going on. But our spirit gets an understanding that God's got a plan, that God's at work. Everyone say, God's got a plan. He is at work. Now, God keeps promises. Can we throw up Numbers 23, verse 19? God works His plan. God keeps promise. God is not a man, so He does not lie, right? It would be better to have like a, a gender-neutral Bible here, wouldn't it? Uh, God's not a person, so He does not lie. He's not human, so He does not change His mind. There's a bit of gender difference there. He, has He ever spoken? Has He ever spoken and failed to act? Has he ever promised and not carried it through? Okay, just wait. The most important part of the scripture, right, is this word here. Oh, I need a laser pointer. And I need to always step onto my right hip, not my left, right? God is not a man. He does not lie. He's not human, so he does not change his mind. He has never spoken. Has he ever spoken and failed to act? 
Has he ever promised and not carried it through? Said Moses to the children of Israel in the middle of the desert. (laughs) Right? This isn't people celebrating. Wow, look at all the wonderful things God's done. It's amazing. These are people in the middle of wow. And Moses, come on, has he ever spoken in a night? Come on, we can trust We can trust the character and the nature of a God who's leading us more than we can trust the circumstances and the situations around us. Amen. God makes four specific promises to the children of Israel in the Exodus process, right? And that Exodus process that the children of Israel went on, we know that that's partly our pattern in our journey with Jesus, right? That's why we talk about Moses a lot. That's why we talk about the wilderness a lot. That's why we talk about the promised land because the journey that they went on was a journey that was real for them but was also prophetic for the journey of the church and for us as Christians, right? Very good. So in Exodus chapter 6, verses 6 to 7, I want to have a look at these. There's four specific promises in here, and these are the promises that, uh, that the children of Israel even today celebrate in Passover, Right? In a Passover meal, they'll always have four different glasses of wine. How many people know that that is the way to do a proper meal, right? If you're going to drink a meal, if you're going to drink a glass of wine, you could probably have four different ones, right? Uh, It says this Therefore I say to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. I will free you from oppression. I will rescue you from slavery. I will deem you with a powerful arm and great acts of judgment, right? There's three of them in there in verse 7. I will claim you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who has freed you from your oppression and evil. That sounds like one promise, doesn't it? But there's four specific realities that the children of Israel point to and say God does this, and He does this, and He does this, and He does this. And they celebrate them with four different toasts throughout the Seder meal, right? These four different toasts. And what what we do in our communion is we have this one cup where we focus on Jesus as our Passover lamb, right? But that one cup is is the four cups together, that Jesus is the fulfillment of these things. And so we want to break them out today because there's these four things that are really processes in our life that we can engage our attention to deliberately to help us understand sometimes what God's doing, right? Where we're at, the journey that we're on, okay? So the first one says, I will free you from oppression. I will free you from oppression. This is the, this is the grace function of Jesus, that when Jesus comes into our world, He sets us free. Right? I don't know if when you became a Christian, I don't know what it was like for you. I don't know what it's like for you when you come to a moment of, of, of repentance. But for me, when I come to a moment of repentance, do you know how, how quickly I become free? Straight away. Have you ever had that feeling where everything's going south and we respond to God and things turn around really, really quickly in a moment of repentance? Do you know, it doesn't matter what your background was before you came to Jesus. It doesn't matter who you are. Like, well, it does matter. It matters. All those things matter, right? But whatever your background was, whatever your story was, whatever your oppression was, when Jesus begins working in your world, you are saved. He saves us from oppression. And when we did our series focusing on this idea, we called it Escaping Egypt. That once you've escaped Egypt, you've escaped. 
Once you're through the Red Sea, you're through the Red Sea. And our picture in, in, in New Testament Christianity is that we respond to Jesus and then we're baptized. That's our escaping from Egypt moment. Once you're baptized, it's done, isn't it? How long does it take? Right? I saw a thing on Facebook of a guy baptizing people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Right? And he was this huge dude. He was bigger than putty, right? And he was baptizing people like this. Bam! Like throwing them down and then with the shirt, ripping them up again. And then bam! Throwing down and ripping them up like as fast as you've ever seen a person thrown into water. I was like, that's how we've got to do it. That looks awesome. Like if you, then people aren't going to be, after that, people aren't going to be, I don't know whether it really, really happened for me. Like they'll be like, they've got black eyes, they've got water up their nose. They're like, wow, I'm really baptized. Right? But once, once we are baptized, right, once the children of Israel in their journey, when they went through the Red Sea and then the armies of Egypt were, were, were crushed in the water behind them, right? That's it, they're free. Once you're set free, you're set free. Once the Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Right? That's it. That's our first cup. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Thank you, Jesus. It's a great song that came into my head just when I said that. How many of you know that when the, once the children of Israel were saved from Egypt, then, they, then they, they were free, and there they were in the wilderness. Free. Yay, we're free in the wilderness. We're free in the wilderness. Here we are in the wilderness, free, but we're in the wilderness. We're free. Yes, we're in the wilderness, right? So the first promise is that God says, I will free you from your oppression. The second promise is that God says, I will rescue you from slavery. And the whole journey of the children of Israel through, through the wilderness wasn't so much about them getting free from Egypt, but getting free from slavery. The idea, and we can see it in their journey, we can see it in the process, that for them to begin to trust God, there was things that had to be worked out of their thinking. Things that had to be worked out of their culture. Things that had to be built into who they are. And we know that one of the promises of God is that God doesn't just set us free from sin, but He brings us into a place where we're set free from sin. And the, the theological term that people use is sanctification. That God saves us in a moment and then He begins a process of transformation in our world. Now, why does God do it in process, right? Why does He do it in process? Because He's involving us in the story. The things that God sets you free from straight away don't build as much faith in you as the things that God does in your world over a process, Right? Well, they build, different, they build different faith in you, right? So God rescues us from our slavery in Egypt, right? And we called that, I can't remember what we called that. Sanctification, justification, sanctification. What do we call our series? Escaping Egypt? Oh, I've got them written in my notes. Don't panic. Changing forward, we called it. Now, remember, that was a great series, wasn't it? Talking about, hey, there's stuff in our world that's got to change. And that to move forward, we change forward. We don't just get to move. We've got to change in our moving forward, right? Amen? How many people are excited? These have been a great series, haven't they? They've been great. Wow, what, a, what a great bunch of preaching people have been doing. Great series, right? And then we've done our series on treasure. But it says that, that I'll redeem you with a powerful arm and a great act of judgment. So God doesn't want to just set us free from sin and then sanctify us. He actually wants to redeem the gifts that He's put within us. 
He wants, he wants to buy back the promise that we had. From before we were even enslaved in sin, He's going to redeem us and restore us to His original plan and purpose for us. Those gifts that He put within us, that He's going to bring them to life again. And when we invite the Holy Spirit into our world, those gifts come alive again. We can become the things that God designed us to be even before we were born, before that stuff went wrong, before mistakes happened, before things got broken, before the world was the way it is, then we can step into a place where we begin to operate like we've redeemed. God's bought it all back and made it all right again. Right? That's why we can believe for healings and for miracles and for the prophetic word. And we can believe for the Spirit of God to be moving amongst us. Why? Because God's redeeming us. He's put treasure in us. Amen? His gifts are within us. Right? That's again part of His salvation plan. That's one of the cups that they remember. That God, God saved us. Then God sanctifies us, and then God redeems us. He redeems the real you. Do you know the real you is not anyone you've met yet? Do you know, you're, not, you're not actually who you think you are. You're more powerful than that. You're more beautiful than that. You're more dangerous than that. Right? The, the real you is not anyone anyone else has met. The real you is, is, is something created in the image of God. And that's what God redeems as we begin to discover what He's put in us, right? Amen. And the last one says, I'll claim you as my own people and I will be your God. This is the cup of praise where we actually step into a point where God works through us, transforming. And for Egypt, for Israel's case, God works through Israel to bring His promise to all the nations of the world. Right? For us as Christians, God works in us right, so that we become the light of the world. Right? That God would actually work in us. That's part of our salvation plan. That's one of the things we celebrate when we take communion together. We're not just celebrating that God saved me one day back in the, back in the distant by and by, and that one day in the deep future, God's gonna, I'm going to be redeemed to heaven. No, we celebrate that God saved us. We celebrate that He's working in us. Right? We celebrate that there's gifts and talents that He's redeeming and uncovering and refreshing in us as He works in us. And we celebrate the fact that God's using us right now in the middle of the process to bring light to other people, to bring elevation and life to the world around us. That's why we celebrate, right? In the middle of it, we celebrate. We celebrate the breaking eggs and we celebrate the caramelizing sugar and we celebrate the mixing, right? That we thank God in all those circumstances because we know that there's a cake being produced. There's something God's doing. There's a work He's doing that's alive in us. Amen? I've got four points that I want us to think about when we think about this idea of living the dream. I say, I ask people, it's my thing. I ask people all the time, are you living the dream? Right? Are you living the dream? Because I actually think, there's something for us to live, lean into. There's a plan that we can lean into. We know God's got a plan, right? God's working a plan. We can see it right through Scripture. Then in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then what does it after that? It says, and then God just let it go. And here we are. Now, the whole story of Scripture is that God's working inside His created plan, right? To reveal Himself, to, 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 to love people, right? To express himself in everything that he's doing. God's got a dream, right? And we've got the opportunity to live inside that plan God has, to live with what 
he's doing, right? So there's four points you need to understand. In, in the middle of the processes of life that we've got to understand as we're living the dream. The first one is this, is that, is number one, that we are under contract. We live our lives, once we follow Jesus, we live under contract. Have you ever, um, have you ever, once you, have you ever bought a house? It's an awesome process buying a house. It's a terrifying process. It's a frustrating process, right? But once it's signed, in New Zealand anyway, other countries, they do it differently. But once it's signed, how many know that once there's a contract and an unconditional contract, that the house is as good as yours, right? You don't live in it yet, but it's as good as yours, right? We live our lives under contract. This is the nature of following God. This is the nature of faith, where we live our life as if the things God had promised are truly ours. We live with faith. We live with power. We live with vision, right? Because these are things God has promised us. We know that we live with a long-term view. You know, as Christians, we should live with a long-term view, Knowing that God's at work in our family and in our generations. God's at work in our city, right? Right? Because it's under contract. We know that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's in the Bible, right? We know that. That's what God is doing. Right? What are we doing? Well, I'm just, you know, I'm just paying my mortgage and mowing the lawns. That's good. That's good to pay the mortgage and mow the lawns. But we need to do that in the context, the wider context of what God is doing. God's bringing all things together under Christ, right? These are the promises that God's spoken over the world. He's bringing all things together under Christ through whom He fills everything everywhere with His presence. The knowledge of the glory of God is going to cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. Because we're under contract as the church in Wellington, that's why we're running an open night. We're saying, Kate, we, we believe that God must be sending more great people our way. Right? If we are called to have a measurable impact in the culture of this city, well, who else could God send our way to help us? Do you know, across the last couple of months, we've had more and more people saying, hey, we're coming to Wellington. Hey, we're shifting to Wellington. People who can do sound and people who can run websites and people who want to help in kids and people who want to help in youth, right? Why are they doing that? Why? Because God's bringing an army together, bringing things together. We live under contract that says the knowledge of the glory of God is going to cover Wellington as the water covers the sea. And we want to, we want to be part of it, don't we? As a church, we're saying to God, come on, God, in 2020, we want to have a measurable impact on the culture of our city. Which means that not just we measure it, but other people can see it. Right? Have you ever had a brand new haircut, but you have to tell people? That's not, I don't think we want that as a church. Look how awesome Jesus is. Well, you know how awesome Jesus is? That he, we, 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 He's so awesome that we want people to see it. Right? We want people seeing it, right? This is what it says in Ephesians 1. It says, In him you also believe, right? When you heard the word of truth. Sorry, Matt. I might wait till you put up on the screen, Matt, because I've got the wrong version in my notes. It says, And now you people, Gentiles, have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. Isn't that cool, eh? When you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit whom He promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that He will give us the inheritance He promised 
and that He has purchased us to be His own people. He did this so we would praise and glorify Him. The Spirit is God's guarantee. It's the promise of God. The Holy Spirit is not just the presence of God, it's also the promise of God, where it says that God's invested in this thing. When we worship God and His presence is there, when we pray and His presence is there, it's a guarantee, hey, God's invested in this thing. God's put His money where His mouth is. He's chosen to position Himself in His church. Isn't that awesome? Um, if you got some inside information, let's say you got some inf inside information of where, say, Warren Buffett was about to invest $100 million, right? If you got, if, you know, if someone like Jono, he seems to me like the person who would have inside information. If he says that to you, now how many, a smart person puts their money there too, right? Because if, if there's $100 million coming in from some massive investor, there's a guarantee that their business is going to grow, right? So you'd put your money there too, right? Right? So if God's going to put, if God's going to come in and, and, and say, oh, here's Alistair Marwani, here's Alistair, you know, and God's going to say, I'm going to give Alistair my spirit, Holy Spirit. There you go. That was not a high five. That was the Holy Spirit. Yeah, yeah. Man, so Caucasian. Uh, right? So the Holy Spirit comes upon Alistair, right? And there's a guarantee of God's promise in him, Right? If God's going to believe in Alistair, and God's going to trust in Alistair, and God's going to invest in Alistair, then why wouldn't Alistair? Right? Why wouldn't Alistair put his whole life into this thing and trust the dream of God and trust the plan of God? Now, why don't we do it? Why? Because we get disappointed, we get disheartened, we look at the cake mixture and think, this is all just slop. Right? Because we're looking at the conditions, not understanding the plan of God. We've got to look. We've got. To, we've got to. We've got to get a bigger sort of framework for what's going on in our world. Amen. Otherwise, it's just another day. It's just another big annoying hassly day. It's just another day with annoying kids. Another day at crappy high school, right? Unless we get a bigger picture and say, no, God's at work in my world. God's investing in me. I'm part of the dream of God. I'm part of the plan of God, so I'm going to believe it, right? Everyone said, we have a guarantee. Good, so that's point number one. We're under contract. There's a sign outside your house with God's put a sticker on it. Under contract. Right? Number two, we are on our way to freedom and power. When the children of Israel were in the desert, and Moses says, come on, has God ever spoken and not acted? God's not a man. He's not lying. He's not, he's not human. He's not changing his mind, right? When Moses is saying that, everyone's like, oh, okay, Moses, we'll keep walking. Fifteen generations later, King David rules a massive empire. Right? And the, the freedom and the presence of God dwells within their culture like it was intended to almost, right? As close as they get, right? And so here we are, Jordan's like, oh, God's not a man, he can lie. Come on, do keep walking. And 15 generations later, right? Come on, we've got to understand that we're on our way to power and freedom, right? We're not at power. We have a measure of power and freedom. We have a measure of God at work within us, but we're on our way to something bigger. You know, think about your own marriage. Come on, what are you on the way to in your marriage? 
well, it's all a bit of it's all just slop at the moment. Well, okay, that's all right. But a little bit more heat and a little bit more time and a little bit more mixing. You know, the breaking of a few more eggs and plates and other things, right? And you get your... But if you just... Come on, if you just think, well, what's your marriage like based on last week, right? Come on, that's not a good, that's not a good enough perspective to judge anything. Well, it was yucky. Right? But come on, we've got to get that bigger framework. We've got to get a bigger picture and say, oh, come on, God, we're moving to a place of freedom. We're moving to a place of power. It's the promised land. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. That's where we're moving to. That's the promises of God for us. Amen. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. Come on, you know it. <laughs> You're amazing, Elsa. God began a good work within you. He'll continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. Okay. Okay. I'll keep walking then. Right? I think we have to, as Christians, we have to turn down the volume on our, are we there yet? Because the answer is this, no, we're not. When are we going to be there? At the end. We're not there until we're there. And then once you're there, you'll be like, oh, I wish I was back there because then I would make more about being there. I couldn't wait to finish primary school. But if I'd focused more at primary school, I would have had a better time at high school. I couldn't wait to finish high school. But if I'd focused more at high school, I would have had a better time at university. I couldn't wait to finish university. But if I'd focused more at university, I would have been a better school teacher when I finished. But the reality was, our are we there yet is robbing us of what we need to learn while we're here. Are we there? No, we're not. When are we going to get there? Do you know, when you, go, when you start doing long distance running, which I've done a little bit of, there's a trick to long distance running. You have to jog along, right? And when your legs start saying, are we there yet? Or we're here now. We're stopping now. When they start saying that. You have to keep, you have to tell yourself, no, I'm gonna I'm jog I'm gonna jog forever. If, as soon as you say, I'm gonna I'm just gonna jog and see how I feel, do you know you'll jog for hundred meters? Because you won't feel good after that. Oh, I don't feel good. Of course you don't feel good, you're jogging. Right? But if you tell yourself, oh, when it would do do long distance travel in economy class. That's how I choose to do it. You can't, you, you can't tell yourself, oh, oh just, you know, you know, don't look at the screen of the plane going across the whole world. It doesn't move. Don't look at your watch. Turn your watch off, you know. <laughs> One time I was on a long-distance trip, and I, in Singapore, I changed my watch to Singapore time because that was useful. And then after I traveled for about a watch, Memento, a movie called Memento, it's like it's a story told in seven-minute sections in reverse order. And the guy's got no memory. He has to tattoo stuff on himself to remember what happened, right? And so I was jet-lagged, and I had my watch set to Singapore time, and I watched this movie, and I didn't know where I was. I started to cry and shake. Right? But if you just sit down in, the, in your long-distance chair and you say, well, I'm going to be on this plane for the rest of my life, but there's a toilet and people are bringing me food, I'm going to be okay, right? 
Right, but if you, oh, you know, if you think it's going to be quick, right, you're in trouble. Right, oh, I'm just going to quickly dig a hole. Well, come on, no, set aside the day. You know, you've got to make, you know, we've got to give ourselves a bit of chance to enjoy the journey, right? He who began a good work in you is going to complete it. Amen. We're on our way to freedom and power. We're not just on our way to freedom and power. We are destined for greatness. There's more to you than you, there's so much more to you than you know. But it's, it's on the other side of the processes and the plan of God as we live the dream. Here's Matthew chapter 5, 21. This is what God says to the servants like you. Matthew chapter 25, verse 21. The master was full of praise. Well done, Josh. You've been faithful in handling the small thing I gave you your life. Now I'm going to give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. You've well done you. Good on you. Now God's going to give you more. Why? Because he, he positioned you for greatness. Positioning you for power. Positioning you for strength. That's what you're destined for. You're not destined for what you have to be taken away. You're destined for God to give you more. To position you for greater, greater influence. God's, God, what God's doing in you is going to position you for greater influence in the world around you. That's what God does. A scripture I'm going to read next is that we're transforming the world. But it says that we're the light of the world. And no one lights a lamp and hides it under a bucket. Right? I certainly have never seen anybody do that. Quickly, light a lamp. Someone get a bucket. Right? But Jesus hasn't lit in our lamp to then hide us under a bucket. But Jesus lights our lamp and then He positions us. As He works in our world, He positions us, Right? Because here's the other thing. No one lights a lamp and then the lamp jumps up onto the lampstand. Woohoo! Woohoo! Look at me! Look at me! Right? No one lights a lamp and then the lamp positions itself. But when Jesus lights our lamp, then He positions us where He wants us so that we can shine in the world. God, you didn't position yourself where you are in the job you have and the neighborhood you have and the family that you have. You, didn't, you weren't up in heaven looking down thinking, yeah, I like those, that couple there. I, would, I wouldn't mind looking a bit like each of them. No one says that about their parents. Right? We didn't choose it. God lights us and then God positions us. He's moving us to greatest. He's transforming the world. We're the salt of the earth. If we lose our saltiness, we're useless. Right? We're the light of the world. But a city that's set on a hill can't be hidden. No one lights a lamp, puts it in a bucket. But up on a lampstand, it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men that they will see the work of your life, the good work of your life, and they'll glorify your Father in heaven. I was reading a different translation than Mark had. Sorry, Mark. He specifically asked me what translation. But when I was doing my notes, this is just by the by. I ended up with three different translations. <laughs> I don't know how this happened. Uh, it just happened. Uh, very good. Okay. In conclusion, the words that we've been longing to hear. There's a prophetic word that stirred our hearts, hasn't it? In conclusion. Oh, brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Actually, the conclusion of my introduction. No. <laughs> There's a cool story. There's a 
one of the epic tales in the Bible is the story of Abraham. It's an epic tale, and it, it's central to the whole the whole story of Israel. Obviously, they're all descended from Abraham, but it's an epic tale. And Abraham has this relationship with God uh, that's it just it's it's amazing. Like it, it's stark in its detail. Like Abraham has these conversations. He makes God lunch at one point. They walk around talking about stuff. Uh, there's one point where they have this, they, God makes a covenant with Abraham and they cut animals in half and then, then God, Abraham marches through the animals, which was an ancient practice when they did covenant. That's how they do it, cut the animals in half, march through. And then there's a, then a fire pot walks through as well, like God himself sort of walks around. It's just, that's awesome. Like it's an epic tale. And who knows what any of those stories mean? Like it has thousands of years ago. Who knows what happened, right? But this guy, Abraham, has this relationship with God that is so detailed, so deep, so powerful. And he gets this promise from God, which is an outlandish promise, this promise that he would have children, right? That God would expand and that would go, that his, his, his line and his heritage, right? But he receives this promise as an old man and he gets older. When he's nearly 100 years old, he's, God comes to Abraham and God says to Abraham, hey, Abraham, it's me, it's God. I am your reward. I am your shield. I'm your exceedingly great reward. Right? It's a great prophetic word, isn't it? You know, one of the things that we do in church is we give people prophetic words every now and then. But what, what, what Abraham did is Abraham looked back at God and says, what good is your promise? What good is your blessing? If I, if I don't have an heir and then to inherit everything. Imagine that, like, we give a pretty good, oh, Putty, God's calling you to greatness. And Putty says, yeah, what good's that? Yeah, shut up, pastor. But Abraham's got this relationship with God, where God says, God reminds him of his blessing on Abraham. And Abraham said, what good is that? I haven't yet seen the specifics of what you promised. If I, there's no point me having your blessing if there's not something coming from me that's going to bless the whole world because your promise is to bless the whole world through me, right? As blessed as I am is no good unless you bless the whole world through me. It's a phenomenal interaction, right? And um, what good are all your blessings when I don't have a son? Then this guy comes into the Bible. Eliezer of Damascus is going to inherit everything I own. And then it says, it's, then the Lord took Abraham outside. So where was he before? He was inside. And God takes Abraham outside. Do you know, it's funny the thoughts you have when you're inside, especially if you lived like Abraham did in a tent made out of animal skins. If you're just in your tent, in a little tent, Everything looked quite small. Oh, I'm just here. Here I am in my tent. And we're judging in the middle of the process. And we're speaking to the whole result, saying, Oh, from here, it all is useless, God. And God didn't smite Abraham in his tent, He just pulls Abraham out of his tent and said to him, Look up into the sky, count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you'll have. And then this is the key part. Abraham, or Abraham, believed God and the Lord counted him as righteous 
because of his faith. It's a pretty powerful thought. And across this series, I'm really believing that for all of us, God would bring us out of wherever our current tent is. What's the comfortable space that we've created for ourselves to keep life manageable? Uh, The little space that we can understand and that we can control and we feel happy with. Great, because that's a great thing. It's great to have a tent, isn't it? To protect you from the elements around you. But what happens is the things that you build to protect you, to insulate you, some of those same thoughts and ideas are the things that are not just protecting you, they're preventing you from seeing the bigger picture of what God's doing. Well, if I just keep my plan, well, are you living the dream? Yeah, I'm living the dream. Is, Is it really your dream? Well, Jordan, a nightmare is a type of a dream. Now, come on, we're, we're saying as a church, come on, there's something bigger for us. We, we've got to believe, we've got to believe one day, we, not one day, we've got to believe to see this building full of people praising Jesus. That we, every Sunday we'd hear testimonies of people's lives transformed, of people set free, of, of systems in society changed and shaped by the influence of the gospel, right? That's what we're believing for. But we don't see it if we keep it all tight and, oh, well, let's keep it. Well, if, 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 we're not going to see God move if, if, if we can understand it. We've got to come out of those things, out of our, the confines of our control to see something bigger. And so I'm really challenging you. I'm really going to challenge you. We, we, the guys, all the different people preaching, we're going to challenge you across this series to actually buy into the bigger picture of who God is. To, to buy into this dream that says, no, God, God, the creator of the universe, He called me. He chose me. Right? Don't try and understand the plan of God politically. Don't try and understand the, God finan- the plan of God financially. Don't try and understand the plan of God theologically. Just understand He called you and He chose you. Oh, I don't really understand why. That's okay. He called you and He chose you and he, He's got a plan where through the people of God. God wants to bless every family on the earth. Okay, so if we're going to buy into the big dream, the big plan of God, um, you're going to have to sell your shares in other dreams. I, I think I think some of us need to abandon our parents' dream for us and say, no, I'm going to do what God's called me to do. I don't know. Are we trying to, are we trying to, are we trying to still win approval from mum and dad? Or some of us need to sell our shares in our friend's dream. Are we living our life to win the approval of the people who happen to be around us at that time? So that if we're around the hip-hop people, we start winning our hat backwards. <laughs> and if we're that with our workmates, we talk like that and think like that and operate like that. And if we're with our extended family, we talk like this and think like this and behave like this. Whereas we say, come on, let's come out of all those tents and get under an open sky and say, God, what is it you've called? Who have you called me to be? What's the thing you wanted to birth within me? 
Do you know, it's not about your pastor's dream. It's not about my dream. It's not about the dream for the church. It's about the plan of God, the purposes of God. We've got we've to find ourselves in, in the dream of heaven and God's big plan. And so maybe even this morning, it's a little bit, it's got a little bit somber. But maybe this morning, there's actually some things you need to let go of and say, well, I'm not going to, I actually need to let, come out from that tent into a bigger space to see perhaps what God's called me to be. Amen. Maybe close your eyes and bow your heads and maybe pray together. Amen. Holy Spirit, we just thank you for your presence that's here. Actually, could, could I get you to stand up? Is that all right? Let's stand up. And what I want you to do is, just as Jack's playing and the rest of the musicians are coming, thank you, guys. Maybe lift your hands. I just want you to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you. Just open your heart. Lift your hands if that helps. Definitely open your heart. Close your eyes. Focus on God. Holy Spirit, we just thank you that you're here. What I want you to do in just a minute is I, I want us to step out, to come out from our tent to come out from a place of restriction. And maybe you know exactly what that is for you. Maybe right now you know exactly so-and-so's ideas for me, or, or, or maybe it's your job or something like that that's actually created a blanket of restriction over you. Maybe you just know that you're under some sort of a blanket of restriction that's preventing you from seeing the plan of God, that's preventing you from seeing anything beyond what you know, what you understand. Maybe you need to step out of your own controls of life and say, God, I want to step in to see more of what you've called me to be, to see more of the plan that you want to work out through my life. But this is what I want you to do is, is I want to pray. And then when I say amen, I just want you to take one step forward. Or if you're in the rows, you might need to take one like a side, like a side step a side slide step. You've got to just move sort of one whole step, one whole position and say, God, I'm moving out from an old way of thinking. I want to embrace a bigger picture for my life. But it's not about, this is not about young people or old people or whatever. This is about all of us saying, hey, we know that part of the plan of God is that we move into a bigger reality than the one we've known before. We know that we're moving from glory to glory. We're going from strength to strength. And it's a decision to say, I'm not going to judge by the process anymore. I'm going to step outside of the tent and judge by the big plan, the big purposes of God. Amen. Let's sing. Is that all right? Let's sing. Oh.